Praise God. Welcome to our final week of our Redeemed series. We started uh, talking about this a few weeks ago on Easter Sunday, and we're going to wrap it up today. Um, when we started the series, we talked about how because we are redeemed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to be made new. We are no longer the same person that we are. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ, and I don't know about you, but I am extremely thankful uh, for that. And then we learned that being redeemed meant that we have the ability to get past our past. We don't have to dwell on our mistakes. We don't have to think about the fact that um, we are who, uh, what we've done, because a lot of people live their lives that way, and uh, they just try to, uh, uh, you know, just mask it, or or maybe just not even feel bad about what they've done. Um, and 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 that kind of reminds me of a of a story about a man who entered a restaurant and he sat on one of the stools at the counter, and the waiter brought him a glass of water and handed it to him and the customer immediately took the water and threw it in the waiter's face and and uh, the waiter quickly grabbed a napkin and customer grabbed some napkins started helping wipe up the the mess that he'd made and apologized with great remorse and he said I I'm so sorry it, it, I have this compulsion to do this I fight it I don't know what to do about it and the waiter said you better do something about your problem you're really going to get yourself in trouble if you're not careful and uh, then the waiter said, you can be sure I'm going to remember you the next time you come in, and I'm not going to serve you until you get some help. Well, a few months later, the man comes into the restaurant. When he asked for a glass of water, the waiter said, no, I'm not going to give it to you, and he absolutely refused. And then the man explained, you don't understand. I've been seeing a psychiatrist, and my problem has been solved. Well, convinced now that it was okay for the waiter to serve him, the waiter poured him a glass of water, handed it to the man, and the man took the drink, and he splashed water in the guy's face once again. And the waiter said, I thought you were cured. And the guy said, well, I am. He said, I still do it, but I just don't feel guilty about it anymore. Uh, and I think there's some people who, who kind of, they just, you know, they've kind of gotten to the point where they've cheapened grace and they just don't feel guilty about their sin anymore. And while we don't have to dwell on our sin in the past, we have been forgiven of it, right? And Jesus has, has forgotten it. Now, this isn't how I recommend you do it, but uh, it is certainly true. Now, this past Sunday, we talked about how being redeemed gives us a new family. We are a part of a spiritual family, a new family with brothers and sisters um, in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and it's a wonderful family where, where we have the opportunity to serve him. Today, we wrap it up by discussing the fact that we are redeemed uh, and, and because we're redeemed, that should inspire us to put our faith in action, right? We should want to not try to earn our way to heaven by the things that we do, but because we love Jesus, we should want to put our faith in action by serving others and, and believe the things that, that he's, he's taught us. I read this, uh, this week a story. I'm a big baseball fan. I read this week that uh, there was a story that happened in 1924, and the New York Giants were facing the Washington Senators in the World Series. It was a very close series. At the end of six games, uh, it was tied 3-3, three, three, three games apiece. So game seven, it's, it's very intense. The stadium's filled for the deciding game. The game was played in Washington, and they came to the ninth inning, right? And, and so the Giants come up to bat in the top of the ninth. The score's tied 2-2, two to two, uh, and, and they went down in order, 1-2-3. They were just down in order. Washington came to bat 
and, and the hometown, they're just screaming for, for one lone run. If they could get one run, they win the World Series, and, and everybody goes crazy. The first two guys up, they made outs, right? It looked like it was going to be extra innings. The third guy comes up, a guy by the name of Goose Goslin. Look this up. This is a great story. He comes to the plate. Two strikes are called right out of the gate. Strike one, strike two, then two balls. So he's got a 2-2 count, bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, if, if he can do something miraculous, it's, it's over. Game's over, right? Pitch number five comes. Goslin steps into the ball. He slams it into left center field. The crowd goes absolutely delirious. The ball is flying toward the fence, going, going, going. It hits about six inches from the top of the fence, and it bounces back into play, right? And so he's just chugging as hard as he can. He's running, he's running, he's running. He starts to slow down going into third base, but then the, the third base coach is waving him on, and so he's, he comes chugging around third. He comes home. It looks like it's going to be an inside-the-park home run. He slides into home plate, dust is flying, everybody thinks he's made it, and as the dust clears, the umpire goes, you're out, and the fans start yelling, players start yelling, and, and, and then the umpires got together, all four of the umpires get together, and they start talking about it, and uh, did you see something that I didn't see, so on and so forth, and they start discussing it, after a few moments of talking about this, the umpire comes before the crowd, before the players and everybody, and says, ladies and gentlemen, the batter is out because he didn't touch first base, yeah, yeah, remember we used to have to appeal that. Remember you used to have to appeal that. But that didn't have They said he's out because he didn't touch first base. And I feel as though there are some people who are similar to this story in our spiritual lives, right? We've gotten to a point in our lives where we're, you know, we, we've kind of rounded first, we're rounded second, we're rounded third, we're kind of heading for home, and we think everything's great, and then all of a sudden maybe Maybe we miss something along the way, and maybe we start to feel like maybe we're not safe. Maybe we start to feel like um, we're, we're not even going to make it, you know? I, I, I think there are people who, who get to the end of their lives, and they look, they look back at their lives, and they think, something's missing. And, and maybe, maybe somewhere along the the line, you miss first base. Maybe you miss second. Maybe you miss third. I don't know. And I'm not saying you've got to dot your I's and cross all your T's in this legalistic kind of sense, but you're just feeling like something's not quite right. And I got an opinion, and it's just an opinion, but, but if we're feeling like this, maybe it's because we're not touching all the bases in our lives. We're not putting our faith into action. We're not doing the things that God is asking of us. In other words, we're putting ourselves first instead of putting Jesus first in everything that we do. And maybe we started out living our lives on fire for Jesus, right? We gave our lives to Christ. We, we, uh, we were baptized into him. We started out on fire, and then life kind of hit us. And, and we succumb to the pressures that Satan put in our way, and life is just beating the fire out of us. And we're not as faithful as we once were. Well, if you are redeemed, if you've been bought back by the blood of Jesus... That should motivate us to want to put our faith in action. That should motivate us to stay with the baseball analogy, to make sure that we're touching all of the bases, to do everything that the Lord is asking of us to do. It should motivate us to put our faith in action because our faith is a living faith, guys. It's not a dead faith. 
It's not something that we just sit there and say, okay, I believe. It's something that we do. And this story from Scripture, this is an incredible story. It's found in Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin with verse 1, an incredible story um, of of a guy that um, had an incredible amount of faith. And I just hope that I can possess this this kind of faith, not on just the good days when everything's going well, not on just the sunny days, but on the rainy days too, metaphorically speaking, right? Look at this passage, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. I just want to stop right there for now, and I want to, I want to deal with, with what this is saying some. Jesus, it says Jesus had just finished saying this to the people, right? It's like, what is the this that he's talking about? It's the story where Jesus had just talked about how foolish it was for someone to build their house without a solid foundation, right? You remember that story? You might remember the song better. The rains came down and the floods came up. You remember that? The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went splat. Okay, good. Six of you know that. That's good. Awesome. Awesome. Right? Well, Jesus had just sung this song to his followers. No, he didn't. He, he told the story to his followers. But, but uh, he runs into this highly respected officer some translations call him a centurion, um, and, and, and this, this Roman officer, this centurion, hears of Jesus being in the area, and he instantly comes to find Jesus because he believes with all of his heart that Jesus can do something about the situation, right? And in this time, the, the, the Romans were the ruling power in Israel, and this officer, this centurion, would have been a part of the occupying force in that area. So he's a Gentile, he's not of Jewish heritage, and yet he comes to Jesus out of desperation because his very highly valuable, loved servant is sick, and his servant is on the brink of death. And this centurion sends for the elder, which I find interesting too, right? This is a, this is a Roman, this is a Gentile, and he's got this kind of relationship with the Jewish leaders that he says to the Jewish leaders, you know, go, go get word to Jesus. And then the Jewish leaders respect him enough to go do what he's asking. They go to Jesus, whom they don't, don't even know. We don't even know if they believe in him or not because they're Jewish. And so they go on this request and... And they ask for Jesus' help. Now, the Romans must have heard all of these stories. This Roman officer must have heard all these stories about Jesus' miraculous healing. And he believed that Jesus could do something about the situation. Right? And just like him, we need to understand today, we need to recognize that Jesus is our only hope for healing. And I'm talking about any kind of healing here today. 
No. It might be physical healing. It might be emotional healing. It might be healing of mental illness. So many people dealing with that in this day and age. We're all in need of spiritual healing through Jesus. Without Jesus, there is absolutely no hope. All our hope is in Jesus. And because our hope is in Jesus, we've got to put our faith in action instead of just saying, yeah, yeah, I believe. Jesus said, hey, even the demons do that. They believe enough to tremble. We don't do that sometimes. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you truly believe, if you've truly been bought back by my blood, if you've been redeemed, then you need to put your faith in action. And putting your life into Jesus' hands might feel like a leap of faith. You might be sitting there thinking, you know what, I don't know if, if I trust that Jesus will catch me. Sometimes I ask people how they're doing, right? And they'll say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there. And, and then I say, well, well, keep hanging, right? But... As I think about that, I think there's sometimes we need to let go. We need to let go and just trust Jesus because we're hanging on in our own power and in our own strength. And sometimes we just need to let go and let him do what he can do. I heard a story about a, a house that caught on fire. It was a terrible situation. There's a young boy uh, who was forced to, to flee to the roof for safety. He's standing up on top of the roof. The, the little boy's father stood below with outstretched arms, and he's calling to his son. He's saying, son, jump. I'll catch you. And, and, and he, the boy knew that his only way for survival was to jump. The only way he was going to save his life is if he did what his dad was asking him to do. But all he could see was flames and smoke and blackness. And you can imagine he was afraid and the flames are getting higher. And his father kept yelling, jump, I'll catch you. But the boy protested, said, daddy, I can't see you. But the father replied, trust me, I can see you. Jump. Trust me. And, and I think we have this tendency sometimes in our lives to trust in ourselves. We think we can do life on our own. We think we've got it all figured out, only to find out later that Jesus is our only hope, guys. He's it. And sometimes we, we have to take that leap. We have to step out on faith because an act of faith, if you're taking notes, an act of faith believes that Jesus can do anything. Do you believe that this morning? So back to the story. Jesus follows the elders to the centurion's home to respond to the request to heal his servant. But before he can make it to the house, the centurion sends a message back to him. Right? Look at verse 7 now. This is what he says. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers, I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Stop right there for a second. Jesus was amazed. The Son of God was amazed. Now, I'm going to guess that there's not a lot of things that catch Jesus off guard. To the point of saying, I'm amazed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. 
And when the officers returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. The message brought to Jesus is that he doesn't need to enter or even come to the centurion's home. He can just speak it right where he's at. In humility, this Roman officer doesn't even consider himself someone worthy enough to even be in Jesus' presence, for him to even come to his house. And this guy, this officer in faith knows that all Jesus needs to do is say a word. Boom. And the healing will take place. And the centurion believes this because he understands authority, right? Think about his position. He has faith in the authority of Jesus because he knows how authority works, right? If you're in a position of authority, all you got to do is say the word and it's supposed to happen. And Jesus is the creator of everything. He has authority over all of creation and all he has to do is say the word. All he has to do is simply command the sickness to leave for the servant to rise up and it was going to happen. True faith is confidence that Jesus can do anything, that there is nothing outside of his scope of power. Reminds me of a story of a fourth grader who celebrated his birthday on crutches. He had broken his leg, right? And uh, it was his birthday, and he wanted to bring cupcakes to school, but he couldn't carry the cupcakes without help. And so his mother asked his older son, Noah, to help his brother carry the cupcakes into the school. And his older brother said, I could, but I prefer not to. And the mom spotted the teaching moment and said, now, son, what would Jesus do? And he said, well, Jesus would heal him so he could carry his own cupcakes. (laughs) Well, you know what? Jesus doesn't always heal like we want him to, does he? I I, mean, I, I don't know why. I wish I had, I think I wish I had those answers. I don't know why sometimes healings take place. Sometimes they don't. But if we have the faith that Jesus can do anything, it should have changed our approach to everything. Right? When our marriage begins to struggle, we go straight to Jesus. We know, Jesus, we know that you're somebody who can do something about this. Right? Or you're, if, if you're battling this addiction, you continually struggle with this addiction, go straight to Jesus and, and say, Jesus, you can give me victory over this. Or we find ourselves in a place of darkness or in a place of depression. We go straight to Jesus and we say, Jesus, give, us your, give me your light. Again, I ask you, do you believe Jesus can do anything? I know he does, or he can. And the centurion in our story, he believed it. He trusted Jesus, that he had the authority to take care of of this situation. Right? He trusted him. He said, Jesus, you don't even have to be in the area. You don't even have to come to my house. Just speak it from right wherever you're at, and it's going to happen. I read a story that took place back in 1893. Uh, George Ferris, he was the inventor of the Ferris wheel, right? It's got his name on it. And when it was finished, he asked a newspaper reporter 
to uh, join him and his wife on the first trip around on the Ferris wheel. So the newspaper reporter came along, and, and he went on the ride with, with Ferris and his wife. And it was a windy uh, July day, and so there was this really stiff breeze that was, was really hitting the wheel with great force. And they, get, they got on it anyway even though it was a little bit scary for him, to be honest. But it began to slowly rotate, and despite the wind, the Ferris wheel worked flawlessly. And after one revolution, they stopped, and they got off the Ferris wheel. All three of them stepped out. In braving that one revolution on the windblown Ferris wheel, each occupant demonstrated great faith. Mr. Ferris began with scientific knowledge that, listen, I built this thing. I know how it operates because I know how it operates. I've got faith to get on it. Of course, his wife is married to him. It's like, I believe in you, honey. I've seen what you've done, and I trust you. And so she gets on the Ferris wheel, and the reporter believed the machine would work on the basis of what the inventor said. But only after one trip around could it be said of all three that they had personal experiential faith. In other words, they put their faith into action. You can sit and you can look at it all you want and you can say, yeah, I believe it's there and I believe it'll work and I believe that it's wonderful. But until you start to put your faith into action, you really don't, you really don't experience it like God wants you to. And sometimes, just like on that first ride of the Ferris wheel, there's going to be wind, it's going to be difficult, right? There's going to be troubles in life. Sometimes it's not easy to rest securely in Him like we would like to. But when we read this story about the centurion and Jesus hears just how solid this guy's faith is, the Bible says he's amazed. This display of faith amazed the Son of God, superseded all of the faith in Israel. And when the men return to the centurion's home, they're shocked to find out that the servant has been made well. Now, I'm guessing that the centurion wasn't shocked. Right? And I'm not contradicting scripture here because it doesn't say the centurion was with him. Right? He didn't go with them in it. Just the friends of the guy. Right? He's still back here somewhere. It said when the friends of the officer got there, they saw he was healed. The officer didn't even go. Because he didn't feel worthy of being in Jesus' presence. So I don't believe he was shocked at all that his servant was healed. He was grateful. He was overjoyed. But I don't believe he was shocked at all. Because he knew the one that could heal him. And he asked him to do it. Now, the second thing I want you to see. Is this. An act of faith served. An act of faith is not just believing that Jesus can do something in our lives. It's believing that Jesus can do something through our lives. Right? It's not just that, hey, Jesus can do this thing for you. He can actually use you to demonstrate his faith to other people. The book of James talks about this in chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. He says, what good is it, brothers, dear brothers and sisters? If you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. You say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm. Eat well. 
but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. The author of, of this passage of Scripture begins by asking a question. What good does it do to have faith without having any kind of service, without it, having any kind of actions, without having any kind of works accompanying it? And the example is, that, that's given here is, is, is basically when you see a need around you, and you do nothing to help with that need, James would consider your faith pretty, pretty worthless. You know, the Bible also says in another place, that he that doeth, knoweth to do well and doeth it not, I always remember it in the King James Version, it just flows better. He that knoweth to do well and doeth it not, to him it is sin. How many of you as you're driving around town throughout your day, or as you're going through your daily routine, how many of you see needs in people around you? We don't have to go far. And how often are we doing something about it? And so to illustrate this dead faith, it, it basically, let, 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 me, let, me, let me tell you this. Let, let's, suppose, um, let's suppose you have like a, a bottle of... of uh, Excedrin migraine, right? You struggle from really bad headaches or migraines or whatever. And maybe this is a bad example. Let's, let's not do migraines. Migraines usually don't get healed with a bottle of something. Okay, let's just do a headache. You got a really bad headache, right? And so uh, you know that if you take what's in this bottle of extra strength, Excedrin, or whatever it is that kills your headache, you read the label, you, you know that it's worked time and time and time again, you read the directions, you believe everything about it, you've even seen it work before, and you know that if you just take it, your headache's probably going to go away, and so you read all of this, but then you take the bottle and you put it back on the shelf and you never take anything. The headache is never remedied. The pain continues on because you didn't put in what you needed to put in your body. And that person may say, hey, you know what? I believe in medicine. I believe everything that there is about the medicine, but they still won't take it. That's not very smart, is it? No. And that's what people do with faith every single day. The world around us is in need of people full of faith. People like this centurion who believes that Jesus is all that they need. Just speak the word and his will can be done. But the world also needs people whose faith leads them to reach out in concern and service to the world. We're redeemed and made new by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But guys, here's the deal. It's not just for our benefit. And I feel that that's where we kind of settle in sometimes. I've been guilty of that. You know, just keeping it all to myself. What Jesus has done for me is for my benefit. We are redeemed and made new for the benefit of all of those around us who are broken. It's not just us. I will, I, I'm going to go ahead and mention this now instead of wait till the, the end. Um, 
we, we put Rob Gaskell on the prayer chain this week, and, and uh, Rob had some surgery on Friday. And Rob is dealing with uh, brain cancer right now. And uh, he's got a great attitude. We're trusting. We're believing. Everything that I've said here today, I'm putting into practice. I'm trusting. I'm believing. All right? And I want you to do the same thing. Rob's, Rob's going to beat it. He's got the attitude. He's going to beat it. All right? Um, but the, his attitude's incredible. It, I've talked to him half a dozen times, and every time I've talked to him, he has said, Maybe God is allowing me to go through this so that when I get out on the other side, I can help somebody who's gone through it. You see, Rob's faith, and I know Rob's watching, love you, man. Um, Rob's faith is not just for himself. He, he sees that, that his faith is for the benefit of other people as well. And I know down the road somewhere Rob's going to have the opportunity to witness to someone that's going through something like he's going through. And our faith needs to play out like that. Who better to help someone going through a situation than someone who's been through that situation? Right? Our faith plays out in our generosity, it plays out in our service, it plays out in our sacrifices, it plays out in our willingness to speak to other people and testify to what God has done through their lives. Someone put it this way, faith and works are really like the two feet of any person walking out our journey with Christ with a left foot of faith and then a right foot of works. Left foot and then right foot. This is how William Booth, the famous uh, preacher and founder of the Salvation Army said, faith and works cannot be distinguished from one another. And so this week, here's what I encourage you to do. I encourage you to keep your eyes open for opportunities to serve people around us. They're there. You don't have to look very far. No. Let, let, let's... Let's perform actions of service that, that are going to honor Jesus, that, that are going to point people to Him, that are going to point people to the one who can do something about their situation. Easter Sunday, a few weeks ago, uh, you know, we just celebrated, and, and that's an annual reminder um, that fullness in life can be found in Jesus. Our lives don't have to be empty like like. Like a lot of people are living their lives, we can live an empowered life, an exciting life, sometimes a dangerous life. But that's a reminder that we who fully believe, who are ready to put our faith in action, should experience every single day. It's not just a, not just a one time a year thing. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's an every single day kind of lifestyle. So I want to ask you this morning, how can you live this week, your life full of faith. What can you do? Kind of like the little boy on top of the burning building. Not that you're in a really horrible situation, but you might not see God working in your life right now, but he can see you. What are you going to do to trust him? How can you move past your past?
How can you take your rightful seat at the kingdom's table? What is it that's holding you back? All of these things that we've talked about over the last month. If there's anything, anything that you're dealing with today, that you're holding back from him, I pray that you take it to the foot of the cross and you leave it with Jesus. Here's what Hebrews 4.16 says as our worship team comes. I want you to follow along with me. In fact, I want us to read it out loud together. Here's what it says. Here we go. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. And if you're here and you have a need, maybe it's a first time decision. Maybe it's a prayer concern that you have. You just want some people to pray with you. Maybe it's a rededication. Whatever it is, we encourage you to come.